I don't need fellowship. And I don't need the church. The church is a waste of time. People in the church don't understand me and don't provide for me. I think I should give up in the church. Ordinary Christians just don't get it. They should have specialist knowledge like me. Uh, and they need that knowledge. They can't just carry on on their own without someone like me explaining things to them. Jesus didn't become a, or God didn't become a human being literally in the flesh. Christ isn't an ordinary and real human being. The message of the atonement, the cross, well, that's absolutely outdated. We need to move forward with the times and learn that our thinking and our understanding of humanity and our goodness has moved beyond uh, such kind of uh, coarse and rough uh, teaching. These are just some of the kind of issues uh, that John and other writers in the early church were up against in terms of the false teaching. Uh, We've been looking at false teaching in in other of our uh, sermon series and uh, usually the letters were written in response to issues. They weren't just kind of, well, I think I'll write a letter to the churches and they wrote a nice letter to the churches. There was usually a reason for them. There was usually a problem. There was usually false teaching uh, and struggles happening that made things very difficult. So uh, these letters were written uh, in response to that, and John is no different. And that some of these kind of issues, which I've maybe played, um, uh, modernized a little bit and, and broadened a little bit, uh, were some of the issues that would have been uh, typical of the issues that John had to deal with. It was written by John, who had a close relationship with various churches, Uh, to whom he was writing and they were general letters that were passed around the different churches but I don't really want to spend any time in that this evening I want to go straight into the letter because the letter goes straight into the letter there's not much introduction in it it's just uh, it's just a punch right from the very beginning because things are very important and we remember and we recognize that when we look at a, a church like this with some of its false teaching and some of the issues that they faced and some of the, the corrective teaching and the corrective focus, that's going to be exactly the same for us. The corrective focus is going to be absolutely essential for us in our Christian lives as well. So it, because it's the Bible, because it's God's living word, it remains eternally, it, it, always relevant to us. It's never going to be outdated. And that's partly what we're going to look at this evening. So can we start by uh, looking at the introduction with the heading, no introduction. So there's no introduction really in this letter. There's no, hello, how are you all doing? I'm John, the beloved apostle, and uh, things are going well. There's none of that kind of introductory few words. He goes straight into that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked at, and our hands have touched it's kind of unusual. It's unusual among all the letters in the New Testament in that there's, there's very little introduction. But that's because I believe he looks for powerful impact. It's a bit like his gospel. There's nothing about Jesus' birth and there's nothing about the, the manger and his childhood. Is, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. And it goes straight into the kind of meat 
of the character and the nature of Jesus. And so here he's doing the same. Uh, there's no formalities. He wants to get straight down to the real beginnings of what he wants to say. And the real beginnings aren't in uh, formal introductions. He's got a message and he's saying and, and founding all his teaching on this truth that things, uh, the gospel and the truth of the gospel has been the same since the beginning. That's what he wants to say. Uh, you know, that which was from the beginning. And he, he begins his letter saying that because that's hugely significant and important to him. And what he wants to stress by way of introduction is that God's purpose in the gospel has always been the same right from the very beginning. It's always been the same. It's never changed. It's not like that halfway through the book of Kings or uh, uh, Isaiah that God said, well, things just aren't working out. We'll need to change the whole gospel. We'll need to, I'll need to send my son and, and try and work out something better. It hasn't been and has never been like that. God's purpose has never changed. His mind has always been set. And uh, through the centuries, the gospel is always and will always remain the same. And the truth of the gospel and our need for the gospel will always remain the same. You never sophisticate beyond the gospel. You never sophisticate into something more radically smooth than the gospel because the gospel remains the same. And today that's good for us, isn't it? Because everything changes. We're in the fastest changing society that has ever been. And it's only going to get faster. It's not going to get slower. My next if God blesses us with another 25 years, we'll be a lot faster. Well, it's a lot faster anyway when you get older. But, I mean, society will change a lot more than it did in the first 25 years. When we first got married, you just had big bricks to speak to on the phone. And it was wired up. And it was in the hallway. You couldn't walk about with it. And you had to turn something to get the number. Things have changed radically and dramatically and will continue. But God doesn't, and the message doesn't, and salvation doesn't, and so he is, like we were singing, a rock. He is not going to change. And so he becomes the rock that is hugely significant and trustworthy. And his purpose doesn't change. We don't need to sit down once a year as a church or as a denomination or as a religion and say, well, how can we change the gospel to make it more relevant? And how can we make it more appealing? Because it is reliably the same. And his commitment to that gospel is the same. I must be feeling in very reflective mood this evening. Because 50 years ago, roughly just over 50 years ago, I was born in, in a house in Corpach in Fort, near Fort William. And um, that house has, over these years, changed dramatically. It's changed ownership. It's no longer a manse, which it was then. Uh, it was a guest house and other things. It's been painted and different people staying in it. So every decade there's been a huge change in the house. But if, you, if I was to have taken a photograph every, every year or maybe every 10 years, every decade in the, the, of that house, there would be one thing that would be unchanging in it all the time. That would be Ben Nevis in the background. Ben Nevis in the background never changes. Some of the photos would be in black and white, and there'd be color, and there'd be different people outside. There'd be a wee fat, curly-headed boy at the front, and uh, that'd be my brother. And uh, then it would be all kinds of things. But Ben Nevis 
It would just be the same. And if you took a photograph today, Ben Nevis would be the same as it was 50, 100, 1,000 years ago. And that's kind of the reality uh, that John wants to remind his people of because they're being tempted to change the gospel. They're being tempted to move away from Jesus. And he's saying, look, the truth doesn't change. The picture of God doesn't change. And that beginning that Jesus was from the beginning, that the gospel was from the beginning, that the cross was in God's head and heart from the beginning is crucial to us because uh, we're living in a world which is telling us all the time, change, change the gospel, change the way you think, change the atonement, get rid of these things, move on, develop, mature. And uh, John here says no. So we have this truth uh, at its deepest level not changing. What's the truth that he is particularly unpacking here? Uh, Well, it really is that God uh, is is life and then other stuff that comes from that. Uh, You know, uh, this is what we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and we testify and we proclaim to you the eternal life. That's really what what he's founding his teaching on here, that God is life. God is eternal. Uh, God is the giver of life. God is the author of life. God is life. That's his theme in many ways. That life for us, we can take comfort from the fact that life isn't random this evening. You know, we haven't just come here together and it's just a a random uh, coming together of of people. Uh, It's not chance that brings us here. Uh, Life is not naturalistic. Your life at no level is independent of others, but primarily of God. You and I and we are derived. Life is derivative, in other words, and it's derivative with source coming from God. So God is the source of life and of our life. So without God, you know, this is stating the obvious clearly stating the obvious, but without God, there would be no existence. So the breath that we have to curse him and to apologize for atheism and for secularism, it comes from him. So without God, there would be no existence. All life flows from him. So we come this evening to church, and if we don't learn anything else this evening in church, we learn that we will need to bow our heads and give thanks. That we are here today, this moment. We got up this morning because God has given us life. He has chosen that we live today and uh, life comes from him. Every tick of the clock is from this author uh, of life who is God. Now that immediately, if you're already thinking, and I'm sure you are, I'm sure everyone's thinking here, that already means something very significant. It means that death is a spiritual problem because it relates to God, who is life. So the opposite of life is death. And that means it's kind of the opposite of God. And it's the opposite of what God is. If life is from God, then death is what has brought separation from God, has brought uh, dispeace. Peace and life is in relationship with God. Sin has brought in dispeace and death and brokenness, which we saw very clearly 
this morning in the presentation that we had of the brokenness of the world in which we live. Uh, And so there's immediately in that theological claim of God being life, uh, a link to uh, the sin and tension that has brought death into our existence, into our lives. So he goes on from that to say that this God who is life, and in seeing God like life, isn't it? He's just, is he not bigger then? Maybe this evening you've come in and he's just become a little bit bigger. When we think of him as being the author of life and the sustainer of life, and yet we're told that this great God, he appears. Okay, people say, well, if God is here, where is he? Who is God then? Let's see him. Let's touch him. Let's feel him. And John says, that's exactly what happened. Into death and into the brokenness and into the picture of the world uh, that we received this morning, Jesus Christ comes. The life as God appeared. John says, we have seen it. It's interesting he uses uh, impersonal pronoun here, uses it. Um, There may be various reasons for that, which I'm not going to put into. Which I have read about, but haven't fully understood. Uh, The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it. It's referring to life, I guess, at that level. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which is with the Father and has appeared to us. And so there's this this amazing picture of a great God who's the author of life who appeared into the darkness and separation caused by our sin, into the death world, into the death uh, platform, into the death universe, in the flesh, in reality. And John is, is really insistent on that fact, you know, because one of the false teachings of the day was that Jesus didn't really come in the flesh, that he, was, he wasn't really a human being, he was a kind of ghost figure, wasn't real. And uh, John says, no, Luke, I've seen, uh, uh, touched, our hands have touched, we've looked at, and uh, the, the word for touch there is, is a really strong word for close, close, close examination not just brushed past, but really closely examined. You know, you think of the post-resurrection appearance of Jesus where he says, you know, to doubting Thomas, you know, come and touch me. Feel me, feel who I am. And as if Jesus himself was saying, look, you know, you need to touch and see uh, that I am real. And uh, this is uh, the one who John knew. We read about it in the uh, the story of the the, the crucifixion, that John's account of the crucifixion where Jesus on the cross gives the the oversight of his mother to John, his beloved disciple. And John says, I was there. You know, I lived and I saw him. I ate with him and I slept beside him and we drank together and I saw his miracles. I was there when he was transformed and he became more like this God who is life and God who is light. And I listened to his teaching. I, was there. I, see, I could see him. This, this God who comes. And, and, but it's more than just life, isn't it, that Jesus comes? It's more than just walking the earth. It's more than just teaching and miracles and example and uh, uh, insight. Because he died. Now that is remarkable. God is life. God dies. He dies on the cross. That is the greatest paradox, the greatest oxymoron, the greatest mystery we could ever consider, that God who is life 
dies on a cross. But he obviously and clearly, and the teaching that is from the beginning is that he has done the impossible in our place. The author of life takes the sin and the curse for our sin, uh, the, the judgment and the curse for our sin on himself. He undergoes separation. My God, my God, why? So that we don't to offer the way back. That's the gospel. That is what is from the beginning. That is what God knew about before the foundation of the world. That is what is prophesied in Isaiah 53, clearly pointing forward to this remarkable, scary, frightening, unbelievable work of God that caused him to feel forsaken. His life. And yet this life is the one who has revealed himself as an incarnate God in the flesh who dies and who rises again. And that message is a message, and not just the message, really, and I, I, I want to emphasize that. It's not just the message that we share, but it's the life. It's the life restored that is shared. And that is from the beginning. That is very important, that when we become Christians, we move from death to life. You know, that's how significant it is. We move from being not a people to being a people. And that can't be changed. That's the message of the gospel, is that we move as Christians from death to life. You know, you can't tinker with that, can you? You, can't, you certainly can't better it. You can make it a lot worse. You can kind of, you can shrink it down to being something rubbish. But we can't make it better. And uh, that is why John is so protective of this message. And he says, uh, uh, this, is, this life appeared, we have seen it. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. And um, this life appeared, we have seen it and testify to it. And that is speaking of the fact that what has been from the beginning is something that we don't just keep to ourselves. We don't just come into church in St. Columbus on a Sunday and close the door and talk about this and then go away as if nothing happened. It's something that we are to share. It's, John testifies, and that's a unique usage of that word because it's speaking of actual literal uh, witnesses. So he's a, a witness to this Jesus he touched and he felt him and he saw him and he knew he was there and uh, he was a witness. That's why the, the original apostles all had to be those who had seen Jesus and who were there around Jesus. Um, and so he was an actual witness. He was there. He, ex he experienced Jesus. He was there with Jesus. But then he was not only experienced Jesus and testified, he proclaims Jesus. In other words, he sent with a message to proclaim uh, and to share this truth. So what John is saying is saying which from the very beginning, the apostolic foundational truths of the gospel uh, will never be uh, changed. And it's not simply um, the proclamation of a philosophy or a nice way of living or moralism or uh, a specific intellectual insight that some people might have. He said, good news of life. That's the gospel. It's a message of life. It's a message of love. 
that Jesus Christ came because he loves us and he died on the cross for our sins. And uh, he gives us his grace. He gives us his forgiveness. He gives us his acceptance. He gives us his righteousness. He gives us life. And that is hugely significant. What I just want to finish with is from this section, um, the practical outworking of that. Because the, they never are divorced. Never say, uh, I, I would never want anyone here to say, well, theology doesn't really matter to me. I just have this kind of personal relationship with God. Because theology is the knowledge of God. And the knowledge of God will impact the life that we live for God and help us to understand it. All right, for the very last time, I'll use a personal illustration. I'll not do this ever again, but since it's our anniversary. If I got married to Katrina 25 years ago and said, yeah, that was great, and then gone and lived separately for the next 25 years, that would have been a rubbish marriage. We wouldn't have had any kids, and I wouldn't have got to know her. And, you know, the same is true of a relationship with God and Christ, that we come to him and the very blessing of life that he gives us is to know him, to glorify him, to serve him, to understand who he is. And so the knowledge of him will affect how we live. And, when we're, and I hope that will make sense as I, I draw to an end. Because John here gives two very interesting expressions of the gospel here, which we might not immediately... Well, we might, but we might not immediately make if we are asked to explain the gospel. I wonder if you were asked to explain the gospel to anyone or or the outworking of the gospel in your life. How would you explain it? Well, John does it using two words here, fellowship and joy. So he explains the gospel in these two ways, that the outworking of this life that we're given, of this salvation that Jesus gives us as believers, um, is stated in relational terms. Now, we know the gospel is reconciliation with God, don't we? We know it's moving from dispeace to peace, from darkness to light, from life to death, and John spends a lot of time in these kind of contrasts. But here he speaks of it as fellowship with the Father and the Son. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So the result of the gospel then, of what Jesus has done, of us being Christians, is we have fellowship with the Father and the Son. And what is fellowship? We say, come around, come around and we'll have some fellowship. It sounds like you have a slice of it with a cup of tea. But we, we, it's the most soft, misused abused word in the English language. Fellowship is not getting together and having the crack. Fellowship is not just being in the company of Christians. Fellowship is not gossiping about one another to one another and then ending up with a prayer and a Bible reading. That's not fellowship. Fellowship is spiritual friendship with Jesus Christ and God the Father and the Son at the core of that friendship so that our friendship and our relationship is governed by seeking God's glory and by uh, relating to one another through our relationship with the Father and the Son. It's a spiritual walk, in other words. It's a walk in the light. It's a walk in a place called peace. 
It's a walk in spiritual friendship with the Father. And that's new and that's different and that's core. If you're a Christian, it's not based on a head knowledge of truth you have. It's based on you, for the first time in your life, having fellowship with God that you've never had before. And fellowship of love, fellowship you want, fellowship you crave, fellowship you look for. Fellowship with the Father and with the Son through the Holy Spirit. Maybe for the first time you see God as your friend, not as an ogre, not as a master that is frightening and uh, capricious, but one who is good and loving and just and holy. And so it's fellowship on these terms. And John goes on to speak about what that looks like a little bit later. And I'll, I'll not go into that this evening. But it's fellowship with the Father and Son. But if you notice, I inverted it. Because that's what John said first. John said, uh, uh, so that you may have fellowship with us and fellowship with God the Father. So it involves fellowship with God, but it also has a, there's a horrid vertical uh, relationship which affects our horizontal relationships with one another. So that grace and the gospel and what has been unchanged since the beginning is that the gospel affects and Jesus affects, and life that he gives affects our relationships with one another so that there's light and peace and grace that is really important in our relationships with one another, primarily with the family of God, because it's to be a spiritual fellowship, not just the friendship of the people we like, the people that are the same as us, the people that are like us and vote the same way and and think the same way and are the same way, but a fellowship that is based around the Lord Jesus Christ, around forgiveness and peace. Now, isn't that interesting? Because so much of our lives as Christians with one another are marked by dis-peace, not peace. The very opposite of what Christ came to do. We gossip about one another. We talk badly. We complain. We're jealous. We're envious. We judge. We look down. We're proud. Uh, We're self-righteous. So much of our relationships are not based on peace, not based on holiness, not based sometimes... Sorry, I shouldn't say that. I should say a lot of my relationships sometimes are based in that way. I make no judgment on others. And uh, the reality is we don't take the grace... Uh, and the life and the fellowship with the Father and apply it to uh, our uh, horizontal relationship. Why is that? Because it's far harder. We don't need to ask for God. We don't need to wait for God to ask for forgiveness. Uh, We don't need to be patient with him uh, because in the sense that he will do something wrong with us or or, or will sin. Obviously, he's perfect. But with one another... We don't see, we don't understand. People uh, need to be dealt with patiently. We are sinned against. Uh, and there's a million different ways in which fellowship can be broken, isn't there? And uh, that was really one of the problems that John was faced in chapter 2. And verse uh, 19, uh, he says, They went out from us, but they didn't really belong to us. For if they belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. And there was this problem of people just separating, not staying together, not being in fellowship, not grinding out grace in relationship with one another. It's tough, but it's life. And it's good. Because it's from God. So there's fellowship with the Father and fellowship with one another. 
And that, that's one. And the last thing is joy. Wonder if we would, if we would think of, of, if I'd put a bit of paper before this evening service and said, describe the gospel or the results of the gospel in your life as a Christian in two, with two words. I wonder if it would have been fellowship and joy. Probably not. I don't think it would have been mine. Uh, but here John is reminding that fellowship with God, and can I just say about fellowship with God, when you're struggling, what we tend to do when we're struggling spiritually is we distance ourselves from God. When we're struggling spiritually, we move away from Him. But that's the time we need Him most. That's when we will find life, when we go back to Him. Not Coming away from Him is death and darkness. It's understandable, I know, but it's death and darkness, and we all do it. But life will drive us passionately, even when our feet are wanting to go that way, drive us towards him because he is life. And because that has been from the beginning. But related to that then is joy. You know, we write this to make your, our joy complete so that the fellowship with God and living in the light and being Christian is also about joy because it's about peace and it's about forgiveness and it's about not being uh, tense and aggressive and distanced from one another or from God and that is joy inducing you see the psalm we sung psalm 51 restore to me the joy I once had he knew that that was missing he knew he had turned away from his father he knew he'd moved away from the light and he was in the darkness. And there was no joy there. Now, if we're living today in our Christian life and there's no joy, what are we doing? Are we shaking our fist heavenward and saying, God, give me back my joy? Or there's no joy in following you. Are we making the wrong statements and are we asking the wrong questions? Are we walking the wrong way? Because he, he promises through his word that fellowship with the Father and the Son and with one another will bring joy in our lives. And it may be inexplicable joy. Now, in this life, it will be, it'll be mixed. Uh, it will be a struggle. And it will not be complete joy. Because I believe that complete joy is what will mark heaven. Now, a lot of us struggle with the concept of heaven and uh, the teaching on heaven and what it means. But I absolutely believe it will be complete joy whatever else it will be it will be complete joy because it will be completely sin free and it will be a complete peace and it will be absolute fellowship between each other and between the father and his son through the spirit joy so the more we are like heaven here as a community the more joyful we will be not slapstick, but joyful. Deep-seated, heart-focused joy. And the further we are from the Father, the, least, the less joyful we'll be. And I, I don't mean in any way to uh, minimize the struggles and the battles that we face day to day, but God promises a joy even in the midst of the darkness and the battles that we face in fellowship with him because we share life with him.
and reconciliation and forgiveness. And the cancer of sin is dealt with. That's why John doesn't say, hello, I'm doing fine. How are you all? He goes straight in and says, that which is from the beginning. It's so important. He gets to this message which has never changed and which will never change. And if we change, if we change the message, if we try and modernize it or try and uh, accommodate uh, modern thinking, secular thinking, in order to make it more acceptable, we will lose fellowship and we'll lose joy. And that's a battle for us. And we need each other to do that. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father God, we ask and pray that you would help us to live the life you want us to live. Uh, We can only do that by grace. It's not an act that we can do naturally. It's impossible. We ask for your salvation. We ask for your righteousness to cover us. We ask if there are any here this evening who aren't Christians that they will have their eyes open tonight for the first time, that they will run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. And we pray that you would help us when we struggle, when it's a battle, when we are drawn to the darkness rather than the light, and uh, when we uh, scorn uh, the way of grace and fellowship with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ, when we rather the company of fools uh, to the company of the living God. And forgive us when our fellowship is quite the opposite Uh, when it is harsh judgmental uncaring, disinterested self-absorbed when we have no time for those for whom Christ has died and our lives are um, on a pedestal looking down in, in judgment in others help us to be humble and the more grace that we seek and experience Uh, may it be the more joyful we become and the more useful we are in the kingdom of God. We thank you for John's urgency. We thank you for his own relationship with Jesus and for his teaching, for him being a channel of of the teaching, uh, the inspired word of God coming through him. We thank you for that. So bless us this evening and bless the young people as they maybe discuss a bit more practically some of the issues that arise from this introduction. And may you bless them. And may they never depart from what has always been from the beginning, the foundation of their faith. May they grow in their time here. May they be protected from the evil one. May they not choose the way of sin and uh, often the easy, broad road that leads to destruction. So help us, God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.